I'm feeling a little bit jet-lagged uh, on account of just arriving back in Blighty from the USA, USA, USA uh, this morning. I hope that the listeners are enjoying the fact that there are no trucks in the background at the moment. There was a, a distinctly audible truck situation going on where you were. There was a truck and echo situation going on. It was rather unfortunate. But still, I had a good time in uh, New York, uh, aside from the uh, disaster around recording the damn show. Uh, everything else was good. I even managed to meet up with some Reds over in, uh, in uh, the US of A and watched a game. Fantastic. So uh, let's do these in chronological order. And we're going to slightly maybe speed through the games because there's obviously an enormous amount of news to discuss this week, given that the entire history of Sir Alex Ferguson's reign has been laid back. The pure, 100% unadulterated, definite, fully factual truth Mm. is out there. Totally, except for where it goes uh, into territory he doesn't want to talk about. But yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But what Fergie doesn't cover, we will. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Fergie probably wouldn't have wanted to spend too much time covering the Southampton game. Uh, actually, not a terrible game. Uh, some some fine football played by the Reds, but uh, unfortunately undone at the end of things by uh, some slightly odd substitutions, although probably harsh to put the entire blame on Moyes. But a funny old game altogether. Whereabouts were you when you were watching that, Ed? Uh, well, I was uh, somewhere in Midtown with a bunch of other Reds, uh, a mix of expats and uh, local supporters, which was an interesting crowd to watch a football game with. Uh, uh, shout out to uh, at Chinatown Branch, uh, Brendan, very nice chap, and uh, at Tatiana MUFC, and uh, watch the game with those two. And a few others. Uh, good fun it was, except for United's performance, which I thought was actually pretty good in the first half. I mean, um, it was one of those games where I thought United could take that one away from Southampton, but it got progressively worse and Southampton came into the game. We said last week that uh, they're a good side uh, and they are a good side and they kept the ball very well. But United's inability to retain any kind of decent possession through the centre of the park was really worrying. I mean, the fact was that uh, they shared a possession almost evenly and Southampton created more chances, right? They were just they were better with it uh, through the middle of the park and, and uh, United got progressively worse. And then there were some very odd substitutions near the end. I think although Southampton may have created more chances, it's it's certainly the case that United created the better chances. And to coin a cliche, on another day, it could have been four or five, uh, or at least two or three comfortably. A couple of shots against the bar, a couple of, I think, was it two disallowed goals? Um, I think both correct, correctly disallowed. And, you know, United were a hair's breadth away from putting Southampton to the sword and it would have been a very different story. I think the middle of the park is a a huge issue, obviously, as we all know. This is a a major problem for United Mm. and and continues to be going forward. And turns out, turns out, I don't know if you know this, Ed, Marouan Fellaini is not the answer to all our midfield woes. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah. Look, uh, apart from the fact that he's slow uh, and gets knocked off the ball kind of easily uh, isn't very good with passing major problem with him there doesn't ever make a tackle doesn't track any runners from midfield and has no real defensive instincts at all uh, and rarely seems to actually get into the box uh, he's been a fine success hasn't he i mean i do think that's a bit harsh and i would not be surprised if that ends up being his worst ever performance for united uh, i wouldn't be surprised if it's a long time before he puts another performance quite that 
poor in. Let's hope so. For £27.5 million, pounds, he won a little bit more than that. My, my problem with him is uh, I've never believed that he had the, the raw ingredients to become the kind of player that people hoped, you know. The United's Yaya, as I heard more than one person say, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see any evidence for it yet, and I'm not sure he's suddenly going to discover those raw ingredients, let alone grow into the role. So it's been a real problem, and, and he was complete by uh, Victor Wanyama, wasn't he? The the guy came from Celtic down to Southampton, a player who had been linked with United on many a, an occasion in the tabloids. Turns out he's worth a, a lot more than the £12 million Southampton paid for him, it seems. Yeah, and of course we know that Fellaini's worth less than the £27 million that United paid for him, but what we need him to be is reasonably effective, and he just wasn't. A player who was reasonably more than reasonably effective, justifying the hype with every passing minute, and not phased by his emergence into the... blinking into the spotlight like the Bambi-esque deer he is. Adnan Yanazai with a, with a fantastic attacking performance, creating chances having a brilliant shot well saved by Burrich terrific stuff from the youngster Yes, and completed the full 90, didn't he? So uh, he, he really looks like United's one bright, creative, attacking spark at the moment. I mean, it's not firing for Robin van Persie. Uh, Rooney uh, is... is Working really hard, but he's not always effective, although uh, we come on to Sashidad where he was pretty effective. Through the centre of the park, there's no creativity at all. Sorry, just nothing. And, uh, you know, our wide players are struggling. I mean, against Southampton, it was Nani uh, and Yanazai. And Yanazai, uh, his most effective work is when he cuts inside. I wouldn't call him a utility forward, but he's, he can play in any of those forward positions, can't he? And, and Nani just did, didn't have a good one at all. Got dragged off after 70 minutes and, and uh, was a reflection of his game uh well okay i i don't quite agree with that analysis i actually thought that's with nanny rooney and yanazai behind van percy we actually looked quite a lot more creative and nanny did a few good things quite nicely uh, nothing that really came off but there was there was promise there at least which had been absent in previous games i mean this is you know this is clutching at straws I'm not talking about competing with the best in Europe I'm talking about us looking a bit better than we have been looking um, and actually uh, I kind of expected Nani to go off sooner I guess we should talk about the substitutions they were pretty intense weren't they well look the one that, that really stands out I mean obviously Fellaini got dragged off as well and well but came on but the, the one that stands out is is uh, Rooney who didn't have a great game against Southampton for Smalling and, and Moyes' justification afterwards was that uh, he wanted to make sure United didn't c- concede from set pieces well that one worked out well didn't it but aside from that you know and uh, obviously that just looks kind of silly uh, in retrospect the fact that you're at home to a with respect a mid-ranked Premier League team and if we can call Southampton that now uh, and you're winning with a few minutes left I'm not sure I even though Ferguson made some really odd substitutions in his, in his time I'm not sure he would have done that take off your main striker for a defender with two minutes to go it gives it all the wrong kind of impression doesn't it yeah at one nil up as well you know it's not like we were four nil up and cruising it was you know we really needed Rooney on the pitch then didn't we after after the goal went in well, yes, we did, but you know, it, it's it's just a it, it's a summary of the mentality. It's a defensive mentality. You know, this is Manchester United. They're supposed to be the biggest club on the planet, 
or at least in the country and uh, we're panicking about a home game against Southampton yeah absolutely and I think that's a pretty fair analysis I think it was alright and then it went horribly wrong and I think Moyes was a little unfortunate and I think that that little you could say weakness in mentality or you know very strong evidence of a defensive mentality obviously really came back to haunt him in a big way and maybe he'll look back on that and he'll be thinking oh you know what actually I'm uh, a Man United manager now I remember that time when I took that player off against Southampton and that was not a good idea and I don't do those things anymore well maybe one other thing of note in that game before we move on is is just how sloppy United's passing was so you know in the high 70s percentage completed which is uh, unusually poor and I think if you give the ball away 20% of the time that's pretty stark, right? That means of your attacks, only four out of five could potentially get anywhere near the, the opposition penalty area anyway. And even then, United weren't that effective. I mean, Southampton had 18 chances created to, to United's 12. To say a lot about, I thought, how effective each of the sides were with the ball. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But also, there were clear green shoots in that game, which some of which came to fruition in the Sociedad game. And in some ways, I, I thought, apart from... The cutting edge in the box, a more vintage performance even than the Leverkusen game. Really fine, definitely, definitely, it's one of those two games that's Moyes' best game in charge of United. And my vote would be for the Sociedad game. I really liked the lineup to start with, assuming that you got good Valencia on the pitch. Interesting that he picked Evans and Jones again. I thought they did have a good game against Southampton, although they got into a bit of a muddle for the Southampton goal. You know, they, they'd done pretty well up to then and uh, definitely deserved another chance and had, had a pretty good game in the Sociedad game but from the joy of watching Adnan we got the the other joy the beautiful rare treat the cherry orchards blossoming in the spring that is the super silky skills of Shinji Kagawa yes on the left touchline for you know 82 minutes you know, he's just lovely to watch, isn't he? One of the biggest frustrations is the fact that he doesn't get an opportunity uh, and almost never gets an opportunity in his best position uh, is that there's a feeling he could do so much more if he was given that opportunity, right? And it's it's hard to say uh, that he would uh, transform United's season or anything like that because we have no evidence for it because he hardly ever plays. I mean, even under Ferguson... He played uh, barely half the games last season and of those that he did play, he rarely played in his own position. He rarely finished games and it's been even worse for him this season. Uh, but he had he had the full game against Sociedad and was very effective and, and looked very good on the ball. And, and for 10 minutes at the end, he slotted in at number 10 and, and you know, finally we got a chance to see him uh, in the position that he made his name in. Yeah, and, you know, he looked a bit lacking in composure and confidence in front of goal, which is very understandable. And unlike him, you know, because that is one of the things that he's he's well known for is, is composure in front of goal. And interesting, after the game, Moyes said, again, he said this, people tell me how good he is. God, you know... Do you not? Do you not watch training? Do you or do you just not believe? Well, did it? you also not just have your eyes? Did he really say that? I'm upset now, Ed. Yeah. You've upset me there. Yeah. There's a lot. A lot of upsetting things have happened this week, but that's right up there because he said people keep telling me how good he is. I mean. Did he not just have his eyes open for the game that he just watched play out in front of his eyes? It's funny because I was playing back the in my head the argument that we had after the Everton game, where I was kind of raving about him, and you were saying yes, but there was no fundamental output it was a game we lost and actually in this game there was no fundamental output either lots of chances created no goals some of which not not his fault but just his use of the ball and and the point at which he plays a one two does a 360 degree pirouette and then slips the ball through to Rooney I mean that's pretty darn special isn't it 
he's you know right up there with the most technically gifted of of United's players. Uh, he's completely different to anyone else, and that's part of the problem, right? He's a specialist. You feel like you're coming to the party without all the potential options. Uh, if you play him out of position, right? It's, he just cannot possibly be as effective because he is a specialist in his position. It's like playing your right back consistently in the centre and hoping he'll do well. Or, in fact, at United, playing a bunch of centre backs at right back and hoping they'll do well too. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. He did get 10 minutes at the end at number 10. That was really lovely to see because I didn't think that was going to happen. And actually, I thought that was to Moyes' credit, very much to Moyes' credit, that he kept Kagawa on as he was growing in confidence. You could see him growing into that game and sort of rediscovering his touch as, as the, you know, before your very eyes. So I thought it was very, mm. very fine management from David Moyes mm. not to take Kagawa off. Point for, point for yeah. Moyes there, yeah, definitely. Uh, point taken away, though, for bringing Ashley <laughs> Young on. Now, point taken away and then earned back and uh, over again. Uh, point taken away for deciding that Marouan Fellaini was so bad that rather than our £30 million midfielder, we were going to pay a 40-year-old winger in the centre of midfield. But it turns out that not only did good Antonio Valencia turn up, but vintage, brilliant Ryan Giggs turned up. I don't know how it keeps happening. I keep thinking that's it. We're never going to see it again. And it, it happened again. A very, very, very fine central midfield performance from Ryan Giggs. Yes, well, it doesn't keep happening. It's a very rare occasion, isn't it? It's like a you know a total eclipse or something like that. You uh, you wait years for it to happen, and and then it doesn't. It, it doesn't happen all the time. Or, you know, the moon hasn't fallen out of the sky or something. So you know, uh, he, he was brilliant, but it's it's just almost never happened. It's hard to believe it when it when it does. He was very effective going forward. He was very effective with the ball. He was all over the pitch. He ran and ran and ran and ran, didn't he? And, you know, he'd believe this guy's still 40. How do you think he keeps fit? You know, some special bedroom yoga, I think, going on there. And, you know, amazing stuff. But he doesn't do it all the time, let's be honest. About eight games out of ten he plays in centre and midfield. He, he has a real pig. Uh, yeah, but this was not one of them. It was lovely. No, certainly not. When I say he keeps doing it, what I mean is he keeps looking like he's never going to have another good game in the United shirt again. And then doing it last Christmas, he had a purple patch where he was really effective again. He plays these games when he's bad, he's so bad and you just think that's it. And then he gets picked in the team sheet and everyone goes, oh no, that's unbelievable. How did that happen? And then he turns in a performance like that and it was brilliant. I mean, I, I would give Kagawa man of the match, but just sort of to boost him up a bit because Giggsy doesn't need it. But honestly, I think Ryan Giggs probably earned the man of the match p- award in that. Over, it has to be said, it has to be said, it's reluctant, but it has to be said. Uh, Wayne Rooney was alright wasn't he he was pretty good in that game yeah Rooney did fine yeah created the goal didn't he brilliant run and shot and uh, comedy angle after that but um, you know it was all Rooney's doing that one and you know Moyes came out afterwards and praised him to the heavens as he's wont to do these days you know don't get an interview from David Moyes where he doesn't bring out all his sycophantic best lines about Wayne Rooney I, I think the job's done now Moyes we can probably tone it down a little bit Decent performance from Rooney, uh, you know, 80 minutes sort of just slightly off Hernandez and, and uh, the final sort of 10, 12 minutes up front on his own with Kagawa floating around and shows you there are some options there. It's just that uh, Moyes seems very stuck in this mindset of what is uh, pretty much a basic 4-4-2. I feel like the last two games, he's sort of shown a bit of flexibility in that regard. So it's like, you know, this is an emerging narrative, isn't it? Yeah, sure, it is. Of course it is. There's always room to move. Yeah, look at Roy Hodgson. He's gone from, you know, really crude, basically long ball England to to trying to play a, a flexible 
continental system. He's learning and trying to get the best out of his players. Maybe Moyes will do the same. Tell you what, you know, Kagawa fitting into the side and floating around and creating chances and, and getting United to pass and move and move a bit quicker, you know, and uh, I think United really do pass the ball a lot quicker when he's in the side. That makes a big difference. Put Janazai in there as well. And, you know, you've got a couple of very flexible players there who, uh, you know, are not apt to just you know, hug the touchline. Although, having said that, Kagawa did stay on touchline quite a lot for most of the game. But it gives you a a sense of flexibility, and both of those do. Uh, We haven't yet seen both of them in the same side. What you've just said brought out a load of Twitter questions about Kagawa, Yanazai, the whole situation, and one of them being, do you think there's a a system that works with Kagawa, Yanazai, Rooney, and Van Persie all in the team? And there definitely is, but it's very narrow, and it relies on us having two functional central midfielders behind them. Carrick and someone else, cleverly on form, even Fellaini if he's playing well. Giggs, if we can just have that Giggs that played against Sociedad every week. But otherwise, it does cause problems for the central defence and also puts big pressures on the fullbacks. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it'll happen. I mean, actually, the most sensible way to do it would be to shunt Rooney out to the left. But, you know, we, we know what happens <laughs> when you do that. But just before we move on this, off the Sociedad game onto the big, burning, newsy topics of the week, United tried out in the, the highest profile game that they've tried it so far, the singing section. And uh, we've had a lot of questions about that. Obviously, neither of us were there. So, you know, it's very hard to judge these things if you weren't there. What it seemed like on telly was that it was like having an away end for United fans, which I think in a lot of ways a good thing. Certainly, if I was at the game, that's exactly where I would have wanted to be. I guess that's not really surprised the rank cast listeners that I would like to be in the singing section the kind of slight downsides of it that I've heard are people in the Stretford end where the Stretford end is kind of struggling to get songs going because they're clashing a bit with the singing section and other people saying it sort of didn't improve the general atmosphere in the ground it was just like having a little gang of away supporters a kind of interesting experiment I'm certainly not snooty about it where do you stand on it so, uh, I, you know, I suppose anything to help boost the atmosphere. It's, it's a kind of a shame that we're in a situation where we have to do something that's contrived anyway, isn't it? It's probably a general trend that away fans sing more than home fans at most grounds uh, around the country. And uh, it tends to be the, you know, the, the hardcore support that go on the away trips uh, and at home it's it's corporate and it's expensive and it's families and it's all these things and seated and it's all these things that have uh, helped to erode the atmosphere at all grounds particularly at Old Trafford though and particularly uh, with the development of Old Trafford and it now being so big um, you know it's it's been a problem for a long time trying to coordinate any kind of singing between different parts of the ground singing section won't help that what it does is as you say kind of create a, a pocket of away fans which was a small amount of irony there given that's where normally the away fans would be so i'm not quite sure what the future of that is you know in the longer term this is a one-off experiment maybe it'll continue I, I certainly think that bringing together the fans that want to stay together to do some singing is a you know is a good thing to put it another way around it's a shame that they were ever split up when the Stratford end was redeveloped all those years ago absolutely it's one of those things, isn't it, where, well, we are where we are, so let's try and do something about it rather than just spending all our time bemoaning where, not that I'm saying that's what you were doing, but that's the whole impetus, isn't it? Let's let's have a go um, rather than just sort of hope that eventually it miraculously sorts itself out when it clearly is not going to. Because the Stratford End's getting more and more expensive, isn't it? You know, the, the whole thing is, is getting worse and worse in terms of atmosphere, so... 
There was a there's a interesting piece in the news recently that United would support, or at least how do how do you put this? It would support the investigation of potential, say, standing at Old Trafford. You know, lots of caveats in there, but there's good reason to do that. Of course, you you could potentially expand the ground. It doesn't look like that's going to be a Premier League policy anytime soon, but there's certainly momentum behind that campaign, and that would help for sure. I mean, I know the Stratford end is de facto standing anyway. Uh, it's just not very safe when you have a whole bunch of seats there so if, if you could have a you know, safe sta- standing section I think it would help yeah because I mean it's de facto standing but you can't move around can you you can't go and hang out with your mates that want to sing also it's interesting I, <laughs> caveats out, up the wazoo that one caveats coming out of every every hole because that comes from an Ed Woodward interview with UWS He's going to say that, isn't he? He's he's not going to say, no, we'd never even look at thinking about ever looking at it in the future, you know. So not exactly definitive that the Stretford End's going to have all the seats ripped out in the summer. No, no, no. I, no, I think, you know, certainly not. Uh, certainly not anyway. You know, there's a long way to go before that's accepted by the Premier League. And we know the history, right? So that, that uh, makes it very difficult. Even if they're standing in the lower divisions and, and standing around Europe and, and uh, it's a proven technology safe standing, it's a, it's a difficult issue in England. Of course. We should move on because... Uh, Talking of difficult issues in England. Something came out and Scotland and Ireland, as it turned <laughs> yeah, out. especially Ireland. <laughs> So, uh, Ferguson has written his autobiography. It's the definitive one. Well, it, it's, it's it's another one because yeah. he wrote one before, which was uh, pretty bland too. Um, in, unless you're Gordon Strachan or, or, or Brian, Brian Kidd, Kidd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or Martin Edwards, or a few others that you wanted to offend at the time. But so it's caused a little bit of controversy. Ferguson's new book. I have to admit, I haven't had the chance to read it yet. I certainly will when I do. But uh, been a little busy. But uh, I've only read extracts and uh, summaries in all of the papers in every page uh, for the last four days. Yeah, I I grumpily cancelled my pre-order on Thursday. Um, Not because of the news headline on Tuesday, sorry. Not the news stuff. I don't mind knowing what he's going to say about Keane and Beckham and all that. But people started tweeting like little funny stories. And it's like, what are you doing? You really are just ruining it for everyone, stupid journalists. But in the end this morning, I could not resist it and I, I hit buy and I must admit I, I had my Kindle app on my phone on my desk between me and my computer at work today so having a little sneaky read. I mean I wasn't if any of my employers are listening. The first couple of chapters the fantastic read. I mean it, it's a fantastic read. It, of course it is. We're going to come on to the stuff that's wrong with it but it's very well ghost written. It's very readable prose. He's a funny man. Some of his stories are brilliant and as United fans, obviously there's going to be tons of content, which is really enjoyable. I guess you have some fairly significant thoughts about what's absent from the book, Ed. Well, look, it's obvious, right? It's obvious. There's nothing on Cornwall and there's nothing on the Glazers. This is uh, the thing that has dominated Manchester United's corporate structure and finances for the last seven years. And there's nothing on it. Nothing. He says, oh, I made an agreement with McManus and Magnier not to talk about it. It sounds like that's a gentleman's agreement rather than some kind of non-disclosure clause in whatever deal they eventually did over the horse spunk. Um, but I think it's pretty disgraceful, really. But pretty typical, you know, it's really predictable. I I, uh, I was not in the slightest bit surprised because this is Ferguson all over, you know. He, he says the Glazers supported me all along and, you know, they're fantastic owners and I won't say anything against them. This has always been his policy, so he's not going to change that now, especially when he's still taking the Glazer coin. My, my, my biggest personal difficulty with Sir Alex Ferguson, what, not that he would 
give it one slight iota of a thought is how relentlessly self-serving he can be. All the controversy, all the kind of really hostile opinion that, that he's brought out all in the name of the greater glory of Sir Alex Ferguson you know and he's kind of open about it which kind of admirable like he's pretty open about the fact that he just made a conscious decision to be a relentless control freak that that's the only way you could have achieved the level of success he's achieved I absolutely think he's correct I think the the truth of the matter is to achieve that level of success in that manner you're going to have to sacrifice some personal characteristics that most people would find to be you know honorable and admirable and all that kind of stuff did you get the uh the itv feed in new york the itv feed yeah you didn't you didn't get to watch itv telly when you were uh, watching the saucy dad game no assuming you've not yet looked it up on youtube people around the world that weren't watching british television uh, you have to watch the first 30 seconds or two minutes of the broadcast of the arsenal borussia game where agent charles is in the studio with roy Keane, ian wright and lee dixon and uh, agent charles is many things but he is not a complete coward he's prepared to ask roy Keane difficult questions i'm sure he's got signed papers by roy Keane where roy promises not to murder him but basically he says what do you make of the book and Keane basically says i think it's a joke to be honest spent 10 years in the dressing room preaching at us about loyalty and turns out he doesn't know the meaning of the word and then Ian Wright just bursts out laughing it was just really nicely kind of popped the uh, bubble many people kind of attacking Roy Keane saying well you called out the name of young players on MUTV and what do you know about loyalty and all that kind of stuff And well both those points are fair I mean Keane's right uh, you know Ferguson has breached here the unwritten rule that uh, you don't betray confidences from the dressing room and he thinks he's okay to do it because he's no longer in the game but uh, most of the ex-players who are now pundits uh, are pretty scathing about this you know it's going to make for a better read of course you know you want those insider stories and you want the real opinion and and uh, and you know as ever the the truth is is probably neither in Keane's camp or Ferguson's because you know, everyone has a different version of the truth here but Ferguson has has burnt some major bridges here and you know good for him because he's not coming back into the game is he you know he couldn't really after this no I mean I always do find it a bit sad the Keane Ferguson stuff that they ended up like they did but it was inevitable right they were inevitably going to tear each other apart in, in some way because that you can't put that much will to win in the same room for that long and not eventually have them turn on each other it's sad but inevitable immediately after that Ian Wright laughed and Adrian Charles said what are you laughing at and he, he just kind of looked at Roy Keane and went he's just funny <laughs> which is lovely uh, but then he asked Lee Dixon and Lee Dixon said I don't really understand books <laughs> <laughs> don't really uh, Lee Dixon doesn't really understand books I mean Roy, Roy Keane there's a very nice little put down in there where he sort of says you've got to you've got to get that sort of attention when you're playing that kind of media game and it's like brilliant after Fergie spent you know all these years railing against the media game to kind of accuse him of playing it in that way Did, sorry I've rambled on for ages what, what have you made of all this this stuff Ed well I mean kind of what I just said there you know I think Ferguson has betrayed some confidences and uh, it makes it makes for an entertaining read as a result he gave more detail on the the Keane affair than has been given before I guess 
he, he gave insight into uh, his breakdown in a relationship with Beckham, which was interesting, I suppose, although we always knew where that came from. But, you know, interesting that he talks about Beckham as being a, you know, a kind of ultimate professional, really. But some of that professionalism started to wear off after he found celebrity and talks about uh, Van Nistelrooy being somewhat joyless and, and all of these things. And they're good insights. I mean, as I say, I haven't actually managed to read the book yet. I, I will do so uh, at the earliest opportunity. But um, Ferguson has, uh, you know, he's gone about it in a really interesting way. And, uh, of course, that helps sell books, not that he needs the money. But uh, I'm sure that his uh, ghost was given a task to make sure there were some good headline grabbers in there, too, because they all are. I mean, he doesn't need the money, but he certainly likes it. He does. He, he likes some. He likes some money, and, and it brings me back to to you know the Glazers and Cornwall because this is all about Ferguson's greed, wasn't it? You know, he expected to get money out of her. This horse going to stud. Uh, the the, the Magnier and McManus didn't expect that to happen, and and as a result, he dragged the two of them through court and Manchester United's good name through the mud. And that precipitated a, and a hugely damaging takeover. And uh, people don't like it when I say this, but it's the bloody truth. And you don't like to hear the truth, fine. But uh, that's the way it is. You know, it's uh, Ferguson had a very significant role to play there. He's never admitted that. Uh, he's never taken any responsibility for that. He hasn't done in this book. He never will. Uh, and he'll go to his grave, um, you know, refusing to accept that the £700 million the United has spent so far on debt and interest payments had nothing to do with him and had no effect on the club yeah right i mean it makes me both sad and angry when i hear him say it depending on the day more of either because obviously it's immensely frustrating and you can almost see that he's lying in his face lots of kind of very fluffy interviews with him if you want the exact opposite of the charlie rose interview that he gave watch the 10 minute john snow interview Because it's fairly savage and it's really interesting because you feel like if that was a football journalist, that interview would have been over after two minutes. Mm. But also if that was a football journalist, he just wouldn't have asked those questions. But Jon Snow goes for him. There's a point where Jon Snow makes a small factual error and Fergie just kind of turns on him and goes, so you've got that wrong. And it's like you can see there's a wave of defensiveness that comes out when he says you've got that wrong, which basically guarantees that in him, he was thinking about the previous hostile questions that he had it right, that he was looking for a crack in the armor and not able to find one. And, and you know, he handled himself very well and kind of recomposed himself. And it's been fascinating because I kind of, whenever Fergie comes up in any, in any depth, the thing happens where I just, you know, you just fall in and out of love with him. The other day, I reread your piece that you wrote when he left and you end it by saying, it's frankly been an honor. And it has been an honour to be managed with such brilliance for such a long time. It, ha- it You know, we're seeing, we miss him uh, on the pitch every time United play, right, so far this season. He's so obviously missed at the club. And yet, he's a he's just a very ambivalent character, isn't he? He just, and reading the book, reading the book and just like, laughing and really enjoying, because like a good book is, is like, a, it's all about enjoying, and Lee Dixon doesn't understand this, it's about understand enjoying people's company right when you when you read it when you read a kind of first person narrative you, you feel like you're spending time with them and he's very pleasant to spend time with and then suddenly all out of the blue he isn't anyway so yeah fergie well that's a bit that's a picture of many of the journalists that ferguson now courts and uh, was at war with uh, for some time and another irony in in uh, ferguson's book there uh, it's a picture that many of them paint too you know charming company and then he'll turn on you yeah 
Yep. Someone that clearly found that to be the case and to try and link back the the trawling through United's history that's happened with the current situation is the man that David Moyes is making the centre of Manchester United. The bigger than a club himself, Wayne Rooney, who put in an excellent shift against Sociedad and then basically gave an interview grinning from ear to ear <laughs> at the end of the match, said how much he loves working under David Moyes, says how much he enjoying never seeing Alex Ferguson, says he was glad that in the book it cleared up that Wayne Rooney never asked for a transfer request which which uh, which was a bit disingenuous wasn't it because uh, Ferguson yeah just a little Ferguson bit. never actually said he put in an official written transfer request this was never uh, contended here it was uh, you know it, the, the language has changed from Ferguson have to admit uh, he now says he want he asked away which is a euphemism for saying he wanted out of the club which everyone knows he did Right, and uh, he desperately and his people desperately tried to engineer that, but he's he's playing this very duplicitous game at the moment, Rooney, really, where he's trying to pretend that you know because there's a technicality that he didn't put in a written transfer request, which of course you wouldn't for fear of losing any bonuses. Uh, that somehow he's in the clear over this one. I don't think so, Wayne. We're not that dumb, but you might be, Wayne. Unfortunately, you could see him thinking, "Oh, this is it. I've got this locked up." It's just been a week for people being really kind of disingenuous and hypocritical. Isn't it? One one after the other. Keane probably opening himself up to some accusations of hypocrisy. Ferguson certainly doing so, and then and then Wayne continuing his uh, relentless hypocrisy streak, which he's he's pretty good at that, isn't he? He's pretty good at that. I mean, it's not something you can level at Moyes yet. I think he's he's fairly straight down the line, isn't he? You know, it's not always worked well for him that one, but uh, he hasn't been caught in a good lie yet. But it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> yeah, it'll happen. Only a matter. of Interesting time. piece by um, Daniel Harris. I always like Daniel Harris's stuff on in the Guardian this week. To talking about um, Moises' start to the season and, you know, how it's ridiculous to judge him right now, but, you know, you can't help but do it anyway. And uh, said there's only three things that have changed uh, between Manchester United, uh, who wrapped up the title in April last year and won the title by 11 points, and that's a player that David Moyes bought, the staff that David Moyes sacked, and David Moyes. Yeah, yeah, Ouch. it was a great piece. That I mean, I, I kind of it was uncomfortable reading, but I enjoyed every minute of it. And I'm, I was glad that United put in a really good performance. Actually, after reading that piece, it was like, oh yeah, okay, good. Daniel Harris was definitely not writing off David Moyes' future as Manchester United manager. We, we're going to have Daniel Harris on the pod next week without fail. So I might ask him a few questions about that piece as well as his book, which you should definitely buy, by the way, talking Manchester United books, if you're waiting to read Fergie's or if you're fed up that it's all been spoiled. Spoiler warning about Daniel Harris's 99 account of our treble. Uh, Solskjaer scores in the last minute of injury time and we win the whole lot. Christ, uh, you just you just want to ruin the ending. Next you're going to tell me the Titanic sinks. Yeah, um, that's really a dude and uh, that guy's really dead. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Anyway, shall we move on from Ferguson's books? People have been firing questions at us. I saw on Twitter there's quite a large number of them as well. Yeah, uh, lots and lots and lots. Uh, just one tiny bit of news. Well, not so tiny bit of news, really. Uh, Patrice Evra has been making headlines all over the place, falling out with the French authorities, telling them they're all idiots and they've never won it. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> all that's much of a muchness, but the very kind of sad intimation that he's not going to be renewing his contract and uh, you can, you know, it all makes sense for footballing reasons, age profile, etc. I'm sure he'll get a good contract going back to Monaco or something like that. But it's going to be just, it's just not going to be the same once he leaves. He basically made himself into a red. He watched DVDs of Cantona and learnt the story of Munich and the Busby Babes and really put the club in his heart and then wore his heart on his sleeve. 
Yeah, and his performances have been you know absolutely outstanding for several years, and then a, a little bit of a dip. And, and I think over the last two seasons, he's been very good. People are still very critical of him because he does make defensive mistakes, but um, you know he's an attacking fullback. And and as you say, you know he's become part of the fabric of the club, and it's, it's going to be a shame when he leaves. Totally inevitable, of course, because you know Moyes made no secret of the fact that he was trying to buy another left back this summer. He started off with Baines and then bid for fifty-seven different left backs, and uh, in the last hour of the transfer window all right twitter questions at jack hawkins 23 says if all the united players go to a halloween fancy dress party what would each player dress up as Uh, i don't think we've got time to go through all of them i think robin van persie has a kind of natural vampire quality i think he could definitely pull off a a full-on kind of count dracula yeah, so, so I've, I've spent the last two weeks in the States. Halloween's obviously massive there. Uh, everyone loves it. And they don't do the whole ghosts and ghouls thing. You know, it's always, it's always struck me as odd that one. I spend quite a lot, lot of time across the pond. But, you know, they, they do fancy dress and everyone's dressed as, you know, that nutter from the tea party. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think that's it's probably to do with, you know... I'm just making assumptions about American culture, but is that to do with religious sensitivities? It might be, mightn't it? At Typical City says every week at typical city asks us a mean question using the hashtag rantcast but we forgive him because he's a fine gentleman but he says he's 24 now how much longer will tc23 be considered a youngster learning his trade and i actually think that that's a mean but particularly a good question because this is make or break for cleverly isn't it this season does he exist i thought he died uh, he's been nowhere to be seen and i think i, I don't think he's uh he's the player moise wants uh in the center of the park there he's not a youngster anymore the fact is he came into the the side quite late didn't he He had a loan spell and and he didn't really fill out until quite late in his career anyway so he wasn't an 18 year old breaking through he was a 22 year old breaking through and uh, I think it's going to be very difficult for him this season I don't think he's going to get a lot of football especially not if United actually do manage to go and buy someone half decent in the centre of the park in the in the winter transfer window you know I know that might be a long shot but it's also a long shot that cleverly makes it at the club I think yeah absolutely Uh, just to go back to Halloween questions Raphael and Fabio definitely go as each other I think that's that's pretty clear that they could do a good impression of that there's a kind of very obvious Maroran Fellaini Frankenstein's monster situation isn't there I think he could he could pull that off who's our most werewolf like player David De Gea (laughs) of course how could I forget the man is practically a werewolf that actually that would really explain a lot if that kind of makes sense of the physics of David De Gea a little bit more if he's got some serious wolf DNA going on Wayne Rooney would goes a scouser frightening <laughs> at Kyle one one eight seven says do you think Fergie and Keane should settle their differences old country style and should Keane have a place in our coaching staff I just asked it for that second part because that is a beautifully terrifying idea I think he should coach the youth team yes yeah no he, he would uh, he would melt down after about three minutes and complain about the facilities you know. <laughs> Well, class facilities that United do have at Carrington. No, he shouldn't have a place on United's coaching staff. Uh, far too divisive. And what was the first part of that question again? Uh, should they settle their differences old country style? Yeah, I, I think, um, I don't think Keane really wants to do 15 to 20. <laughs> no. At Salil Patak says, could you analyse the last two games and preview the next two games? Hashtag Rantscast waits for entire Rantcast to be dedicated to his question. Clever. Well played, sir. Well played. Ah, yeah, but he missed out a big chunk in the middle, didn't he? Yeah, that's true. This bit's dedicated to all the other listeners. And final question for this week. At Ed Barber says, Rantcast backwards is cast rant. If you were to rant about the 90s Britpop band, what would you say? 
And I have thoughts on this question, and they are that Cast are one of the most underrated bands in all of Britpop. Everyone talks about Oasis and Blur and Pulp and Shed 7 and Menswear, but nobody ever brings up Cast. Higher Ground is one of the great songs of Britpop. Hmm. It ran cast backwards, he's not Cast Rant, it's Stack Tura. <laughs> Just, you know, I just want to, you got that wrong, frankly. Yeah. L- ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to this week's Stackton Raw. It's, it's like that episode of uh, Red Dwarf where everything goes backwards. There you go. Old, old yeah, school exactly. reference there. And talking of everything going backwards, uh, we're going to play against Stoke, the team where everything is backwards. Mark Hughes oh, on the touchline. Yes. Mark Hughes on the touchline. He's uh, managed to take his long ball side and uh, do absolutely nothing with them. So I think there are lots of really interesting selection dilemmas for Moyes in this game. And I think that centre-back pairing is really interesting. We had loads of questions about that as well, which we've not been able to get to. But Jones and Evans, I, I would just pick them again if it was me. Well, he's not going to do that. I get the very strong impression that he rotated against such a dad because he's got this game against Stoke coming up, which is the bigger game in his eyes. I mean, United desperately need some points here, desperately. So I think Ferdinand and Vidic will come back in, especially given Stoke's predisposition towards a bit of physicality. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that I guess that makes sense. I think we'll see Raphael at right back and Ever at left back. I don't think too many questions there. But then every other place in the team other than goalkeeper and centre forward is up for grabs. Presumably, Robin will have finished buying fridges at Selfridges. No evidence that he was buying fridges, but he was shopping in London on Wednesday. And uh, presumably, he'll have finished doing that and he'll be back in the side, I would suspect. Because he did score, after all, against Southampton. He did. I'm sure he'll be back in the side. And, uh, you know, it's a big game for Stoke as well. They've been in pretty poor form right near the relegation zone. Uh, You know, United only a few points better off, uh, unfortunately. But... um, uh, you know, it's massive, isn't it? United can't possibly drop any more points. It'd be utterly disastrous. It's got to be a victory. It's got to be, which means Moyes has got to free his mind. He freed Shinji for 10 minutes midweek, and uh, he's got to free his mind and play some attacking players. United have got to win. If he plays Yanazai Rooney and Kagawa behind Van Persie, I'm going to be so happy. Can't even express how happy I'll be. I, Angels will cry. Yeah, exactly. I can't see it happening, though. No. I think Valencia did enough to warrant another go, although what seems to happen lately is that he does that and then it all goes terribly wrong again. I actually thought Nanny was all right against Southampton, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. You would imagine that Yanazai will play a part given that you know he was really excellent against Southampton and and obviously was brilliant against Sunderland before that and you wouldn't Mm. imagine that Moyes could not include Kagawa in some form in this game would you well he'll be on the bench you really think so you really think after that 90 minutes he's going to put him on the bench yeah he'll be on the bench because we'll be we'll be we'll be back to basic 4-4-2 for uh for the Premier League so (sighs) yeah he'll be on the bench and I think you you probably called it right with Valencia coming back into the side I think uh, Ashley Young was bright enough those 10 minutes he came on that he, he might have got himself a game too. You're joking. So you think that neither Yanazai nor Kagawa will play? <laughs> no, but Yanazai oh, is so different in that this, you're on a manager. This podcast has taken a turn for the worst. On the pitch anyway, so. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll see. Look, um, I, I, it's a toss up, isn't it? There, he, he might come back into the side. I think Valencia and, and Rooney and Van Persie pick themselves, and Flaney will come back into the side alongside Carrick. Um, and the back four is pretty obvious. I think he'll go for the old guard in the centre there. And, and there you go. You've got a pretty straight up 4 4 2, which is most 
probably what Moise is thinking against Stoke because they're a pretty straight up basic agricultural side still. But that sounds awful. That sounds like that sounds like exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. To me, it seems like we should really play Stoke not at their own game, but at the game that we're good at, which is the quick passing, nimble footed players. So sorry, when were we good at that? Well, you know, against Sausidad. Hmm. Hmm, yeah. I mean, no, seriously, all the times when we've looked good this season, it's been when we've been knocking it about and, you know, doing interesting things with the ball, not just getting it to the wide men and crossing it to Robin Van Persie's increasingly forlorn head. Yeah, anyway, look, we could go round in circles about this argument because we know what Moyes wants, right? And it's it's not some tiki-taka uh, short passing and movement game. That's not what he's after. But uh, That's not what he's after. But surely he would, he would have noticed that we're much better and also the results are better when that's what we're doing. Huh. He didn't notice before now. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, hate, hate, to, hate to burst this bubble with some logic, but yeah, hey, we'll see. Look, there's another game because uh, we do need to wrap up the show before uh, it turns into 2014. United played Norwich in the Capital One Cup. I actually managed to call it that as well. I've been calling it the Carling Cup diligently all all season it's weird how the carling cup which is obviously like just a terrible brand thing feels kind of old school nostalgic like when football was proper football and it was the carling cup yeah the milk cup <laughs> yeah that's exactly. Rumblow's cup love o- it oxford against qpr the milk cup that's what i'm talking about and no idea what the side will be against norwich i presume there'll be some very heavy rotation yeah and there should be as well because you shouldn't be investing too many resources in the capital one cup because the rate of return on that victory is not particularly good huh huh uh, see, see what I did there? Credit card jokes. Yes, yeah. well, Norwich, of course, it might be a nice distraction for them in terrible form in the Premier League in the bottom three, uh, alongside uh, now managers, managerless Crystal Palace. Bit of, bit of an odd one that in Holloway walking away and a newly managered up uh, Sunderland who now have Gus Poyet, Luis Suarez's best friend confident i hope they get double relegated i hope they get so few points they get sent straight back to whatever they're calling the third tier of british football now english football i know they went from appointing a fascist to appointing a racist premier cheerleader but yeah there you go to be honest poyet the stuff that he said racism apologist but it's like no he's just being a racist if you're apologizing for racism then you're being a racist yes and of course that's uh that Back in the news again after what happened between Manchester City and CSK Moscow, uh, where a large section of the crowd were making some really unpleasant chants about Yaya Torre. The uh, Moscow chairman coming out today and denying it. <laughs> which, which seems a little odd, given that the cameras were there and it was really very obvious. That's brutal, isn't it? It's absolutely just, I mean, I was going to say it doesn't bear thinking about, but it really desperately needs to be thought about because we just can't go on like this as a society probably a little out of the remit of the topic of the rank cast so um predictions for this week uh, home victory against stoke's gotta be hasn't it and uh, home victory against norwich you'd think but uh, it depends on well, how many rotations happen in the squad yeah uh, interesting one norwich i mean there isn't the clamour that we had last season for players from the youth team to be included in the Carling Cup side because, well, the players in the youth team are either on loan, the ones that you would put in the side are either on loan or the best player in the first team, you know? So um, it's, it's a funny one, isn't it? There, there isn't that bubbling under. There's no get Morrison, Pogba and uh, Tunnicliffe involved, is there? 
No, no, there isn't. And uh, I mean, uh, there are a couple of guys still left uh, in the reserves that, that, you know, probably have earned a shot at being uh, in the squad or something like that. You know, obviously a lot of players have gone out on loan and, and rightly so, I think. Uh, and so there'll, there'll be a mixture of fringe and a um, couple of first teamers and a couple of younger players. I mean, you wouldn't be that surprised if Moyes starts thinking about the uh, Capital One Cup as, as being an opportunity, though, because... You know, now eight points behind in the Premier League. If it starts going even more pear-shaped, uh, you might start wondering about whether that's actually going to happen for United this season. Although, of course, Moyes will have to worry about making it into the top four. Disaster if uh, if he doesn't, of course. Um, so, you know, maybe there's an argument to be said that United might give this a shot. But I think I think they'll only really take that seriously and start playing the full first team if they make it to the semis and beyond. Maybe that would not be the worst idea either because of the whole thing about the... That, that cup being something you can win early and start to get into the habit of winning and it, it has made a difference there is always the talk that it made a difference to Chelsea's Mourinho and I think it made a difference to United funnily enough talking about Van Nisseroy that game that precipitated his departure yes on the bench for, for United's uh victory over Wigan I think it was if I remember correctly it was indeed I believe we watched that together in a pub in Birmingham Ed that game uh, I don't think we did because I was at the game oh well, well that was some other must have been some other guy host of Manchester United related podcast so the other day my friend Joe came round and I have this memory of watching the 2008 European Cup final with him on the television and he says that there's an absolutely no way that happened because he watched it with his dad so I don't know what's going on anymore clearly yeah yeah You've been smoking something funny again, I think. (laughs) Not me, Gov. So, I guess that's it for another week. We didn't do the predictions. I'm going to predict a uh, 2-1 victory over Stoke, and I have no idea of the Capital One Cup. Let's go for 3-2 to United. Uh, I think we're going to beat Stoke 3-0. And I I think that we are going to play lovely. Have we managed to score three in a game yet this season? Yeah, we beat Swansea 4-1 back in yeah, but the, that's, the heady that's not days. three in a game, that's four in a game. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and then I think that we're going to beat Norwich 2-0. Our predictions streak finally ended. You kept it alive by predicting 1-1 against Southampton, but uh, it was neither 3-0 nor 3-2 against Sociedad, so we're back to zero, perhaps unsurprisingly. Mm. Pretty good pretty good prediction, though, that one against Southampton. Yeah, impressive. Yeah, de- yeah. De- highly. De- depressingly impressive in some ways. Mm. All right, um, much like Sir Alex Ferguson's book, it's time to close the chapter on this episode of The Rantcast, and we'll be back with another one of these next week. In the meantime, if you uh, want to get in touch with us, at United Rant for Ed on Twitter, at UTD Rantcast for me, at unitedrant.co.uk, facebook.com slash unitedrant, unitedrand.co.uk slash donate if you want to help out with production costs and all that manner of things and a massive massive thanks and shout out to Tom for production duties yes thank you very much and we'll see you all next week